You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Trinity. Okay, guys, this is an unconventional start. And the reason for that is we're going to do a rebroadcast of a show we've done a while back. This uh, original recording comes from early 2020, and the story has gained some some new legs, and it's back in the press. And we originally interviewed Auburn Dudley about this. This is her story. She's a uh, she was a social worker and had a, a great story about a kid who had come to her home. And we recently found out that there has been a few websites who have been rebroadcasting some of their content and um, and taking some of the blog posts that originally came off of BarrenToBless.com, um, Carolyn Bailey's site, and kind of repurposing it and claiming it to be their own, that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't like that a whole lot. I really prefer to give credit to where credit is due. So we're going to rebroadcast this episode today, and I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a great story. But if you want to reach out and find out about this story, if you want to talk to these people, if you want anything, go to barrentobless.com. That's Baron, B-A-R-R-E-N-T-O-B-L-E-S-S-E-D, barrentobless.com. And you'll find the original authors of the story and where this originally comes from. So we're going to jump into this episode and I'll apologize ahead of time because the audio quality is not where it is today. This is at the very beginning of our journey and we had no idea what the heck we were doing using a cheap microphone and all that. So you're going to hear it sounds a lot different, but the content is worth the uh, the listen for sure. So we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda Palmer, where our mission is providing strength to the weakest among us from both kids in foster care and their biological families. We also talk about topics that affect all children and families. It is our hope that we can inspire you to become the best bio, step, foster, adoptive, or whatever kind of mom or dad that you can be. Part of our mission is inspiring others to become amazing foster families as well, if that is your calling. If it's not your calling, great. Find a thing that sets your soul on fire and go be awesome at that. Let's make our communities great together. Be sure to go by Jason M. Palmer and check out the blog post and other podcast episodes. You can search Jason and Amanda Palmer on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you get your podcast. If we don't show up, be sure to send me an email and let me know, and I will try to get it on there. We'd love to have you leave us some feedback in the form of a rating and review. It really helps the show gain attention. Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. Today we have a special guest with her. Her name is Auburn Dudley. She works in child welfare and has a degree in speech therapy, but decided she likes social work more. Auburn started working for a special needs resource center and then switched over to an adoption resource center, which sparked her love for all things child welfare, where she still works. The other day, Amanda read me a post on Facebook and told me I needed to read it because of the way it impacted her. When I finished it, I could really feel the rawness of it and decided I needed to reach out to the author. 
shortly after I sent my first message, I could see that it was kind of in the process of going viral. The story had also been featured on Good Morning America, Her View from Home, and the Post Institute. Today we're bringing you Aubrey, I'm sorry, Auburn Dudley. I'm going to mess your name up. That's awesome. <laughs> That's okay. It, it's it's not a common one, so I imagine you probably get a lot of different ways to pronounce I that. I do. Yeah, I do. So it's totally fine. We'll roll with whatever. <laughs> that was the first post that I had made, um, but I'm, co- I'm going to be co-authoring um, a few posts here in the future on um, my cousin's blog that she had started called Baron to Bless where that original post um, was was made. So I do plan to um, start writing with her on that. So hopefully we'll get more more of the message out there that way. Well, good deal. And it kind of seems like you, you must have enough of a gift because um, I've written lots of things and put it online. I've never had anything quite go viral the way that did. So congratulations <laughs> to you. You have yeah. some skill there. Yeah, me either. And it wasn't even meant to go viral. It was just one of those times where you saw something and you debate do I share this is this too personal (laughs) and you know I just took the risk because I really am super passionate about people understanding and knowing what it's actually like to be in the trenches of having to deal with trauma in general so I really don't hesitate to make posts like that it's just that's the first one that's really gone viral (laughs) so typically you know I'll get you know, a couple of comments here and there, but nothing like what happened. You really did seem to kind of spark the attention of a lot of people. Can you go ahead and just tell us a story about um, about that day with your son? Yeah, it was it was just a typical weekend. Um, my husband's gone a lot for work, so I'm usually left with the kids, and all of my kids are are younger. So me and the nine year old, you know, during nap time, we just hang out and watch Netflix together, or color or do something like that I remember I was actually just sitting on the couch watching Netflix and and he just randomly got up and said I'm gonna I'm hungry I think I'm gonna go grab something to eat I'm like okay you know usually he'll fix himself a PB&J or some cereal so he went and he wasn't coming back for a while so I thought I better go check on him and uh, I walked in and and we were he was (laughs) he was sitting at the kitchen table with just a paper plate with a package of ramen and it was out of the package but you know the noodles were on the plate and i'm like what what in the world are you doing (laughs) how old was he at this time he's nine okay he's He's done some strange things before you know either to be silly or you know some other trauma related things so you know i thought he was being silly so i was like what are you doing and he said i'm just eating some ramen and i said well I can cook that for you. Like, let me put it in <laughs> some water, you know? And he just has a very serious look on his face. And I was like, okay, hold on. And I thought, okay, this is trauma related. That was my first go-to. I was like, I, I know the look, you know? He said, well, no, I want to eat it like this. I used to eat it like this all the time. And I'm like, all the time, where? At my old house. And I was like, okay. When he gets, you know, I call him the very insightful, wise child. So typically, if he has something to say, it'll be a bombshell, right? So oh, he doesn't yeah. really talk openly about things, but it's always a bombshell. So I'm like, okay, I better sit down for this one. <laughs> I sat next to him. And I said, well, tell me more about that. You know, because in, in the line of work I do, I'm, I'm very heavily trained on child interviews. So I'm like, well, let's just put my skills to the test here. 
So I said, can you, can you tell me more about that? What, what you just said? And he said, yeah, I used to eat like this all the time. And I said, well, you know, why is that? And he said, well, when my mom and dad were passed out on the couch, I used to have to cook, cook food or make food um, for me and me and my brother. And I was like, okay. I said, passed out, like, were they sleeping or do you know? And he was like, oh, no, you know, they were, they were tired. They were sleeping or, um, you know, he doesn't really like to talk about the drug use, but, but that's probably what it was um, from what I've heard from other reports. So he said they would be out and he said we would go hours, you know, without getting them to wake up. And so I would have to make food and I really didn't know how to make very many things. And we didn't really have a whole lot at the house. I would gather up some change out of the van and would walk down to this little convenience store down the road. And they had ramen on the bottom shelf at the gas station. And I knew that I could use the seasoning package to make it taste better. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And I, you know, you have this thought, like, is this a story? And I I said, so, okay, so tell me more about it. And he said, well, you know, it's, it's too hard for brother to eat. So I would crunch it up in the bag and um, we just sat there and we would eat it and with some other things not edible things um, that they would eat with it. But it gave it a little flavor with that flavor packet. So that's what it was for him. He liked the flavor. And so I just sat down and I said, I think I kind of want to try your ramen. Can you make me some too? And the look on his face was just pure excitement. Like, oh my gosh, somebody is going to try my food. (laughs) (laughs) So he went and he went and got the ramen and he made it for me. And I will tell you, I had to choke down that ramen because that was important to him and it made him excited. (laughs) And so if I had to choke down a basic, basically a salt block, block, I did it. And I had a glass of water with me and I said, wow. I said, well, I, you know, I bet that was really hard for you to have to do that, you know, and I'm thinking there's no nutritional value in this. And how did he live off of this? And, you know, um, so that's kind of where we, we started talking about it. And, and he said, yeah, he goes, I, you know, he goes, I'm not sad about it though. And I said, well, that's good. I said, but it's okay if you are. And he said, no, mom, he's like, it, it made me strong. And I was like, wow, nine. Wow. You know, and at the time that this would have happened, he came to me at six. So oh, he wow. would have had to have been five or six. How would it going were his to the brothers grocery store. Um, at the time, um, the brother he was talking about would have been a new two-year-old. And, um, he also had a four-month-old brother in the home that he would have to make bottles for. You know, when the, when the four-month-old came to us, he, very extended stomach, very malnourished, didn't know how to eat at all. Um, we actually had to do some swallow studies and stuff because he didn't know how to drink a bottle. Um, and, and I, I told, you know, I've, I've always told everybody that, you know, he saved his brother's life. He kept them alive off ramen and probably bottles that weren't made correctly, but still, you know, something, something's better than nothing. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
that's, that's kind of where the whole thing started. For a kid that age to just use what they have, you know, that's to have the wherewithal to know that if I go search through the car, I might find some change to be able to do this. That's that sounds like survival mode to me. It absolutely is. And, you know, to this day, we have a van now and I highly considered I was like, I don't know if I should get a van, <laughs> you know, because I don't want I always am very cautious about triggers and stuff. Um, but he wanted the van because I had the DVDs in it. So he thought that was cool. So he approved the van. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're very careful about leaving change in the van because we noticed he was taking it. And I don't care. You know, it's a it's a penny. It's a dime, whatever. But with this story, it made sense why oh, he yeah. takes the change out of the van. And he takes it and he puts it in a pig, piggy bank that's in his room. And he will not let people get in his piggy bank. And I think truly I think this is why and so many questions were answered for me that day when he told the story so it's really opened up our understanding of of him and his you know kind of quirks as I like to call him a lot more yeah that piggy bank that's like his security blanket yeah it is it really is and he'll still you know when we go grocery shopping, it's, do we have enough money for this? Are you sure we have enough money for this? And it's, of course, it's embarrassing at the cash register, you know, when this lady's <laughs> like, wow, she must really be struggling. <laughs> and I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Stop. We, we're good. Right. You know, but to think, you know, we, he's been in our home for almost three years and he still worries about that every time he goes to the store. Is it, are we going to have enough money for that? Yeah, it's amazing how how the past really shapes us. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's something else. He's an awesome kid. He is. He's so insightful and he's so smart. And um, survival mode is definitely, was definitely him. He's getting a lot better about that. You know, he's feeling more comfortable and safe with all of that. And the adoption really helped him. He wasn't upset about the adoption at all. I know some kids have different feelings towards it. He he was very, wanted us to be open and honest with him from the beginning. I've never hid anything from him, told him everything that was going on in the case, age appropriate, of course. I think that that built, built trust, you know, between him and I a lot. And so he'll, he'll open up to things about things to me more so than he will other people. So anytime he tells me something, I'm like, thank you so much for sharing that with me, you know, and I make sure to thank him and say, this is your story. And I'm so happy to be a part of it now. And how can I help you with this? Actually, after we ate the crunchy ramen, I said, would you like to go and boil some water with me and make ramen for your brothers? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be awesome. (laughs) And, you know, it's that sense of let's do this and, and do it in a way where maybe it can be something new, you know, a a different memory about ramen for you. (laughs) Right. You know, we don't always have to eat crunchy ramen. (laughs) So nothing wrong with though. If he wants to eat it, that's fine. But, you know, I just wanted to be able to show him that he can do something else with it. And, you know, it's a little cooking lesson in the meantime. So (laughs) there you go. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, after we had kind of communicated the other day, back and forth on email and text and whatnot, it's clear to me that you're obviously passionate about the after effects of trauma, especially on kids. You know, what are a few yeah. things you've learned that you could maybe help the people, the listeners to deal with the trauma that inevitably affects us all? 
I think that the biggest thing that people don't realize is when we say the word trauma, your mind automatically goes to that child that's that's beaten or the child that's sexually abused or, you know, go to the worst thing in your head. And that's what people think is trauma. When in reality, trauma is going through a divorce. Trauma is, you know, maybe losing someone in your family that was really close to you. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe, you know, anything that you go through that really just hurts you and that can change the way that you mentally view things and process things, that's trauma. You know, I know that we're talking about here a child that's been in foster care and and all of that. And definitely every single child who enters in foster care, whether they're placed in a relative home or whatever, is experiencing trauma. But other people around us are experiencing trauma too. And my whole outlook on life is to treat everyone as an equal. And I know that sounds very cliche, but you just never know what someone else is going through and what other people are having to experience. And you can learn something from anyone, even that, you know, biological parent that is just not, not getting it right. You know, not, not getting it. You can still learn something from them. Um, I'm reminded of the uh, Dale Carnegie quote that I, what is it? I view every man as my superior in that I can learn something from everyone. And it sounds like you really embody that. Yeah, I really do. And I've had to work with their their mom now for almost three years. I still have some stuff going on with her. Um, I'm still learning things from her. And one of the biggest takeaways I've had is not what the kids have said, but just her, you know, listening to her, watching her, seeing how she operates, you know, she, she is also a product of trauma herself. That shows me that we as a society don't help the people that are already vulnerable, then what what good are we doing? We're just creating more issues, if you want to call it that, you know, by not helping them, by thinking that we're better than them, by not offering them services or resources or little things that we can, we're setting them up to fail. And yes, they have to make decisions to better themselves too. And they have to pull their weight. And of course, I, you know, I don't minimize that at all, but you know, for them, for this family in particular, what would have been helpful is someone saying, Hey, I know that you're going through a really hard time with that relationship. Can I watch the kids for you for a little bit? Or, Hey, your kids came and asked me for food yesterday. Do you want me to make you a couple freezer meals? Hey, you have, you know, a hard time getting your house clean. Is there somebody that I can call that maybe would come over and help you? Or can I watch the kids while you do that? Little things that don't cost anything would have prevented my children from being my children. And I love them. I'm so happy that they're here and that this is permanent and that will never, ever, ever change. But with that was also with our new family came a broken family. Absolutely. Um, and and you grieve that loss too. You know, yeah. I, I have found as, as an adopted mother, you know, I, I grieve the loss for my children's mother. You know, it's, yeah. you know, yes, we created a family, but another family was lost. And, and it's yeah. really sad. 
And a lot of people just think because, oh, your children are adopted now, everything's great, everything's fine, and there's no more problems, and everything's great. And and that's not true. You know, our, our children yeah. have backgrounds, they have stories, you know, and it doesn't just go away because they're adopted now. Yeah. And, you know, whenever we were going through the TPR trial, um, the Termination of Parental Rights trial, for, for my first round of kids, at the at the bench she was sobbing and it was the sob that you can hear across the room you know and I just broke down because I'm human you know I yes I'm I'm upset with her for the things that she she did or that she caused or maybe the things that she didn't do for my kids but but those are her kids too and I can't imagine as their mom now losing them and I think the biggest thing that people don't realize and that maybe will, you know, humble you a little bit is that we are just one decision away, one bad call away from ending up just like her. And people are always, you know, gasped when I say that, like, oh, I would never. But how many times have we, you know, maybe disciplined our kids, you know, yelled at our kids too loud or, um, you know, just let them play in the yard and like, oh, I'm just, I just need to do this. Just go play in the yard and didn't watch them as closely as we should. Or, you know, maybe, maybe it was that we are so sick, you know, whether it be an illness or just not feeling it or depressed or whatever. And we just kind of let the house go for a little bit. I mean, those are all reasons a child can be removed from your home. You know, oh, yeah. in the state, in the state size. And I think, you know, there's some days where I'm like, oh, today would be a bad day for the sake of my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, my house is never, it's never horrible, you know, but there's always that thought of like, oh, I wouldn't want people to see this today. And I think, what if someone judged my life, me, who I was in my core based off of my worst day? Right. And I wouldn't like that. <laughs> You know, I don't think any of us would, you know, I just, I always think about that. And that's why I just, I feel so deeply about trying to just love everybody and just ask them how we can help. How can I help you and genuinely offer, offer help to people or services or resources or, you know, whatever, before it gets to that point, before we create more trauma. You're really kind of right in my lane there because one of the things that I've been feeling like I'm I'm directed towards is that need for the biological families to have to have that support that's I mean, and it's not I'm not I'm not here to say that the state's not doing a good job, right? They they do what they can. I get it. Here in Missouri, um I know the funding is not uh <laughs> it's not lavish accommodations. How about that? You know, yeah, there's there's no, not a lot of extra resources that we're able to the, the state's able to dole out and it's a challenge. And that's one of the things that I see is the need to really try to find a way to support those biological parents, support them and get them back on the right track. Amanda and I interviewed a, a lady recently. Hopefully that podcast will be coming out soon. Her name is Amy and Amy lost her kids under the system because of a drug addiction. And she tells her story and she's one of the few people that I've heard tell her story with such openness and honesty and vulnerability, like she tells the 
the ugly parts of her story. You know, she's hiding something. I don't know what it is. I mean, she, she was really open with that. She did everything she needed to get her kids back. Like she decided I want my, I'm getting my kids back and she did everything she had to do. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, an amazing journey. But when people get to that point so often, they hide that success story. They see it as a failure. And so they hide it and they don't talk about it. When people find themselves in that situation, all they hear are the horror stories, how, you know, the state took my kids away and gave them to somebody else. And they did this to me. And they did, you don't hear too many people who will stand up and own their mess and be like, yeah, I really screwed up, you know, and then I got my life in order and took care of it. And I think that's something that people just need to hear. Like it's doable. It's not, not an impossible thing, but not many people want to talk about it. So I think supporting that side of, of the foster care situation you know, looking at the biological parents and trying to help them in any every avenue you can, that's important. But it's hard to do, you know, as foster parents. And I'm certain you know this all too well. It's really easy to look at people and go, how can you do this? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that judgment's super easy. So that's one of the things yeah. that Amanda and I have been talking about. It's it's probably one of the more underserved categories. And again, I'm not bagging on children's division. I know several of the workers and have for years and my God, you like they're busy all day, every day. And they have plenty of time to get at least a third of the work that they should get done today. Finished. You know, they're always running behind and not because they're not working, but just because the caseload's so heavy. It's, it's a challenge for sure. Yeah. There's, you know, record high numbers of kids in care right now um in some counties in missouri in particular and you know the 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 problem is is that the state of missouri was never meant to parent children and we have caseworkers now having to ensure that children are taking the medical appointments that children are at visits on time that children are doing good in school and you know it it seems like you're never caught up with any of it and so you know, the, the child's always the main focus, of course, yes. But, you know, even in our situation, um, the, the caseworker at the time and I had a very good relationship and we still do. We still talk quite often about the kids. And when she saw that his story was going viral, she's like, if, if you fly out to be on the Today Show, I'm coming with you. <laughs> so um, she's <laughs> awesome. But, but, you know, I... There's very limited resources in this particular county that they're from. And um, so I, I had the ability at the time, um, working at an agency, um, I had a huge resource list. And I asked the caseworker, I said, hey, do you have this resource on your list? No. Okay. Do you have this one? No. Okay. So I, I had some broader knowledge of some resources. So I typed it out and I handed it right to the parents. And I said, here we go. Here's my resource list. I, I know you already got one from, you know, Allie, but here's mine. And at the time they thanked me, you know, um, and I just, you know, how many times do people do that for, for parents? Like I, I hear a lot of times like, Oh yes, my goal was changed to adoption, you know, hmm. sweet. It's almost over. Or, yeah. um, you know, Oh, look, there's these, failed another drug test, just like I knew they would, you know, and that's fine. Foster parents are allowed to feel emotions. They're allowed to feel human. I have done that myself. 
you know, I kind of put myself in check real quick, but I've done it myself. So I'm not perfect by any means. But at some point you have to think, what would I want somebody to do for me? If I was on my worst day and I was already down and I was just kicked again in the SST for an hour, what do I want somebody to do for me? And I totally am a believer in karma. What comes around goes around. I just want to be a good person. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, however people else want to handle it, that's fine. But I just, I really try to encourage foster parents to not, um, not just be the ones that are, you know, stuck in the rainbows and butterflies, as I like to say. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in that. that room, you know, and they're in that room too. And, you know, you're supposed to have a common goal for these kids and too often it it's them against everybody else. And if you can yeah. kind of have some sort of a bond, you guys can work, you guys can work together for the greater good of the kids. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what it's about, you know, and to be able to have some sort of icebreaker, you know, of resources or something like that. So they're not seeing you as the bad guy because too often or not, you know, foster parents are also seen as the bad guy. You have my kids. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so if you can yeah. do something that kind of puts you more on an even keel, you know, to be like, hey, I, I want to help. How can I help you? You know, then you can you can forge a bond in a relationship that way. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as far as the caseworkers go, I I completely agree with you. Overworked, underpaid for sure. And, um, you know, as, as foster parents, what can we do for them? Um, you know, if it's after five o'clock, do I really need to text this question right now or can I shoot them an email? Right. Um, you know, if, if the office is an hour away, can I be willing to do visits, you know, transport to visits? And if not, should I really be taking this placement or would I be willing to supervise a visit or, you know, obviously there's, yeah, there's been plenty of times that, that we've, up. yeah, there's but, been plenty of times we, we supervise the visits and stuff because they're, there's so many things that, you know, the workers have to do in a day and they don't just have my placement, you know, they may have 10 other placements and or 30 or 30, uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy. So anything that you can do to help is, is awesome. Yeah. And I know at the time, um, our, our little guy's uh, caseworker had 26, on her caseload. Wow. And I think I have five and I go crazy. All right. (laughs) I can't imagine, you know, and I don't have to fill out court reports and all this other stuff, you know, like she has to do. All I have to do is keep the tiny humans alive. So I'm thinking what, you know, how can I, how can I make this easier for her, you know? And, and, um, you know, I think that, that people forget about those, those frontline workers too. And the fact that they're experiencing secondary trauma. Oh yeah. They take it home with them just like we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, our first placement happened, um, what? Nine years ago. No, more than that. Nani was two and eh, she's 12 now. So 10 years ago. And the worker who brought them to our house, um, still to this day, we, she works in a different County now, but we still stay in touch and every now and then we'll see her and, and she's always, you know, like, it's not like that was just a, that was one of the widgets that she made and put in a box and shipped off to somebody, you know, 
she has a vested interest in who they are today still. You know, it's there's a real bond that can be created there. I mean, not certain every case isn't that way, but that bond is there for sure. Yeah. Yep. And I, I can tell you that, you know, she sees Harry Potter stuff and she automatically thinks of my oldest, you know, if she, if she sees Paw Patrol stuff, she's going to think of my middle kid. That's just, you know, she gets to know them too. And, and so, you know, that's been important for my kids too, to, you know, they always say, well, if I get nervous or if I get scared, I'm going to call Miss Allie. And she has been so great. Uh, you know, they added her on like messenger kids or whatever, so she can message them and they can send her little cards and stuff. And they like to FaceTime sometimes. And that's really sweet and means a lot to them. And it means a lot to us too, you know, that they don't feel like they were just a number on a caseload. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's been really helpful for us. And I wish that more workers were like that. You know, that that's, that's great. Creating more attachment for your kids. Um, you know, this whole story, like, your son's old enough. I'm certain that he, he kind of realizes to a pretty large extent what's going on. I mean, when it gets picked up on a, on a major news show like Good Morning America, you know, how has this whole thing affected your son? Well, he's not allowed to have a phone or social media. <laughs> so um, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't really know too, too much. Um, but I did show him the post, the original post. And we were keeping up on the shares and the likes. And he thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, he's very into YouTube. So he, he understood how many, you know, shares and comments and stuff like that. And he asked us how much, how much we're getting in royalties. So I had to <laughs> tell him he was getting nothing. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I know. So, um, but he thought it was so cool. And and, you know, he, I asked him, you know, somebody had made a comment, you know, there's always a few bad comments in every, every good story. Right. But oh yeah, somebody had made a comment, you know, you know, how dare you share his story without telling him? And I'm like, Hey, listen, I did tell him and he thought it was so cool. He really is such a cool kid and he wants to write a book when he gets, you know, old enough to do that and um, write a book about a story and, that's you know, awesome. Of course, his little nine-year-old mind, he's like, I want to sell it and make a bunch of money. I'm like, great. <laughs> um, yeah, how to cook ramen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so he's uh, he's really cool. And, and now, you know, he's he calls, um, he told his dad the other day, his dad had a little nickname for him. You know, he always has, and he gets real mad about it. And he's like, well, now you, you my, nick, my new nickname is Noodle Boy. And we thought, oh my God, (laughs) there's no way I'm calling you Noodle Boy. He thinks it's cool and he loves it. And um, he he really wants people to know, um, you know, I told him about um, Good Morning America and everything. And I've shown him all the stories and he's not really interested in reading them. He just likes to see his picture. It's a blurry (laughs) picture, but you you know, he still knows it's him. That's what matters. And yeah so he uh he likes that but he said to me I thought this was so profound he said I just want people to know that siblings need to stay together he said that's the biggest thing that I want people to know and I'm like wow okay well I will let them know bud absolutely and you know the whole reason he came to our house which was an hour and a half away from home. So not a close placement at all. 
they had searched the circuit from what I, from what I understand, they had searched and everybody wanted the two little boys, two year old and four month old. Those are easy placements, right? Can't backtalk you at that age. Yeah. <laughs> so, but nobody wanted him because he was six and they considered him an older youth. And they posted him on Facebook in a Facebook, a private Facebook group for local foster parents. And it said, um, I wish I had screenshot it, you know, and saved it all these years. But it said along the lines of looking for a long-term placement for three brothers, six to four months. Um, this will be a long-term placement, need placement immediately. I thought, okay, well, like those are pretty fun ages, you know, going through a different stage of life with those three. And so that would be fun, you know, new little adventures for all of them. And we had the room. Um, you know, we have a pretty small house, but we had enough space. And so I reached out to the caseworker and she called me and she said, nobody will take him. And I'm like, why is he, I'm thinking like super behavioral or self-harm or like something big. And she's like, he's just older. And then like six. Right. Really? Six is not old. That's, that's older. And I said, what's going to happen to him if nobody takes him? She's like, well, we could look at residential. Yeah. Like, wow. All right. No, I was like, no, 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 no. Do not take him to residential. Do not break them up. I'm coming to get them. When do you want me to get them? My husband wasn't even home. He was gone on military duty. <laughs> I've <laughs> been there and done that one. <laughs> two, two weeks. And so he had just left. I mean, just left. I called him and I said, hey, I said, I'm, I'm going to go pick up three boys. And this was our very first placement ever. And he said, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm like, yes. I that said, sounds totally. like a dead answer. I'm just going to say that out yeah. loud. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, there is no way I'm letting this six-year-old go to residential. So I'm going to pick him up. And he's like, cool, let's do it. And unfortunately, and that happens there. so often. Yes. You know, we had a young man that if we that. hadn't have taken him, he, he was going to Boys Town. Because there was just no other place. And, and he didn't deserve to go to Boys Town. He deserved a family. You know, but there's yeah, just not think, enough homes. I think back to when I when I went and got him, he was kind of standoffish, a little, you know, you know how little six-year-olds oh, yeah. think that they're like 12, you know, and he had that, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going with you and all this stuff. Who are you? You're a stranger. I'm not going with you. I said, you better get in that car right now because we're going to go get some pizza. And he said, well, I'm allergic to cheese. And I was like, well, <laughs> okay, best we, I guess we got to go get something else. And he wasn't allergic to cheese. He was just pulling my leg. But, right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm thinking, even through that, I'm like, what if he would have went to this, you know, residential or group home or whatever? I mean, think of all the things he would have been exposed to that he wouldn't have been exposed to. There's violence there often unfortunately taboo I know but sexual assault right bullying I mean just a slew of things that he would have learned and you know what are the chances of getting out of residential once you're in it really I mean if you want to be honest about it it's very slow how often do you, do you see those kids you know stabilize in a traditional setting you don't yeah it's and, kind of the uh, extended version of Lord of the Flies sometimes yeah it's and I think now I, I look back on that and I'm like, 
he's such a cool kid. He's so smart. He's so awesome. What would have happened? I, I really encourage people. I've done a lot of foster parent trainings um, in my line of work, and I always make sure to tell people one of the, my favorite classes to teach is the importance of sibling placement. Obviously, I'm very passionate about it, and it's very close to my heart. You know, I make sure to share our story with people, and but you see it every day. Sibling, siblings need to stay together. Even if it's a little outside of your age range, just think about it. Oh, you know, yeah. and, and not, ev- not every kid can change. And I wrote that in the original post. Every kid can change. And why I say that was because when we first brought him home, you know, he goes through the little honeymoon phase. After that, he was testing hardcore. <laughs> I hate you. You're not my mom. I don't love you. Don't kiss me. Don't hug me. Don't touch me. I'm not eating that. All of those things. And it would have been so easy for me to just give up and say, fine, you don't want me. Okay. I don't want you either. What made the difference for him by no means am I saying I'm heroic or anything, but I didn't give up on him like everybody else had. And what if you could be that person for that kid that doesn't give up on them? Are you familiar with Josh Ship? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I love love, I love his line. You know, every kid is one human being away from us. What is it? Every human is one caring person away from being a success story. That's what it is. Yeah. One caring adult away from being a success story. And and that's, it's just so true. Yeah, I have, I have two friends of mine that, um, one of them I I met just because he lived across the street. Um, the other one I met because my dad met him professionally as a police officer and uh, his mom called the police one day and said, come deal with this boy before I abuse him. And my dad went over there and made a connection with him and said, Oh, Hey, you like to go hunting and go fishing. We do that. You know, where he came from was a pretty rough spot. Like his mom was a great person. His dad had some, some issues. And that had put him in a, in a rough spot as a, as a young boy. He was probably about nine or 10, I guess, when I met him. You know, he went from a kid who was, well, when he was about 18, his, his elementary school teachers remembered him. He left that much of an impact on them. Mm-hmm. He eventually ended up as a police officer himself for a couple of years. But, I mean, right now today, he's married. He has a couple of kids. He has, you know, just a good life, a good relationship, and he's a good man. My other buddy, he kind of got off the beaten path. His parents moved out of state and they were divorced and he moved out at a young age and ended up running the streets and selling drugs and running with the gang and doing all that sort of stuff. And today he's a super successful guy, right? And you look at those those two situations and you know that each one of them are married. They both have what? Two. Yeah, two Steve has two kids and Josh has oh, Josh the has third. Three. So, I, you know, there's five other lives plus plus wives, you know, there's, think of how many lives were affected and how that will make a generational change. And the legacy right. will be left because one guy decided, Hey, I'm going to put a little bit of, a little bit of attention to these kids, you know, kind of, kind of give yeah. them a little bit of mentorship. And that was the difference. And it's, it's changed the the legacy for probably at least two or three generations of, of, of a family. Yeah. I love the empower to connect conference. Um, I don't know if it comes up in your area, but it comes to the Springfield area every year in April. One thing that they said this this past conference was we we look at our at our kids when they're babies, right? 
and you hold them and you coddle them and you look at their face and it's okay. I'm right here. It's okay. I'm right here when they're upset. And you have to look at someone who has dealt with substantial trauma as if they're a baby in your arms, not, you know, not degrading or anything. Sometimes their mind is there on survival mode, just like a baby's. When these kids, you know, these kids that are labeled as behavioral or that are in residential, or if we're even talking about bio parents in an FST meeting who are just so fuming mad, we need to be able to stop and remember they are this baby in my arms that I need to say, it's okay. I'm here. How can we get down together? And that was, that stood out to me and really changed the way that I handle my own children, but it also changed the way that I look at their mom. She's living on survival too. And I think that a lot of people are that maybe we wouldn't realize they are. And if we took a minute to learn their stories or to understand or to ask why, then we might be able to, to recognize those situations a little bit easier and be able to help. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, if more people showed a little bit of grace and mercy, you know, we could do really great things. Well, you know, you, you yeah. say that, and I, one of the local officers I know around here, um, our first our first foster case that turned into an adoption case, this officer told me a story. He's been around for a while, and he remembers when he was dealing with their mom, who was in care, because her mom was kind of doing the same things. It's, it's can be such a generational thing. And if you can, if you can break that generational curse, that generational problem and change it and and allow that family to continue. I mean, wow, that's, that's a powerful thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you, you know, the, what the thing that sets your soul on fire is, but I think, (laughs) I think we have found that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's definitely uh i'll quote them and say the older the older youth <laughs> <laughs> you know the the people that i think are easier to give up on i've got one girl i'm working with right now at work and she just needs that one adult you know and she called me today and she was real funny i'm taking her out for lunch tomorrow and um she said, are you really going to take me to lunch tomorrow? I said, yeah, of course. I told you I would. She said, well, no one's ever took me out before since I've been here. And she's talking about residential. And I'm like, oh, okay, why? You know, like, well, I mean, why? She's like, I don't know. I just, I guess they forget about me. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm like, you're forgotten you're not forgotten about you know I think about you every night before I go to bed and you're not even mine you know like I have five (laughs) other kids but I'll add you on too (laughs) you know I'm like don't be going too crazy Auburn okay we're we're full we're full I make it a point to go and see her on on Christmas Eve because I know no one else will and I just little things that you can do to make people feel your actual genuine care towards them and how many of those people have not gotten that before and how many 
how much of an impact would you make if they felt like they did have someone that cared? You know, I think so often parents get wrapped up and well, no one cares about me anyway. Well, no one thinks I can succeed anyway. And it's that depression, that denial, that loss, because they're going through a loss, they're grieving a loss. And how easy is it to slump into this depression where you don't feel like doing anything anymore because no one really believes in you. So, you know, I, I just hope that, that people can see that there are still good people out there that do want to care and do want to help. And I hope that, you know, people that are listening to this maybe feel compelled to help. Um, and I know it's, you know, around the holiday season and I'm not just saying this because it's holidays. I, I know everybody gets in that, in that mood and stuff, but I'm saying every single day, I don't care if it's July 5th or October 1st or whatever, like go out and see how you can help someone today because you never know if the help that you give is going to impact them so greatly that their whole life changes. Yeah. You never know somebody else's story until, until they open up and tell a piece. You know, we, we had one guy staying with us for a little while. And um, when we took the placement, we really didn't have a place, uh, a bed for him yet. We had to like scramble. And I put out a quick call to some you know the people I know. And I had a cousin who said, Hey, I have a, I have a spare bed. You have, I just need to get rid of it. So you can have it. I'm like, awesome. That's what we needed. And so when he came to our house, one of the things that he said when he was talking with me and my wife was, so I've never had my own bed before. And yeah, you know, you, you don't realize the, what normalcy is for someone else. And mm-hmm. when you don't realize that, you don't realize how much you can help others. Like sometimes it might be just as simple as calling up somebody who is a foster parent, who is having a hard day, who is overwhelmed and saying, Hey, how about I go run to the store? I've got, I've got three free hours. I can go run and do some grocery shopping for you, you know? You can send them, you know, send them the money over whatever Venmo or PayPal. You can send them money to do it for you. And it's, it's just little things like that, that, you know, even if you can't take a kid into your house, like you can support the yeah. people who are doing it. There's always something you can do. It doesn't yeah. have to be yeah. that thing that scares everybody. <laughs> oh no. What if the kid's a mass murderer, right? Like everybody's afraid of, <laughs> of that yeah. of yeah. that horror show coming to their house. But you know, yes. Yes. we've had... I'd say we've had maybe two kids that were really a struggle for us, you know, that that were difficult placements, but we've had close to 20 kids come to our house, right? That's, that's a pretty good percentage. Well, and the thing is, is those two placements that we struggled with, it had nothing to do with the children. It had to do with where we were in our life and we weren't equipped to give them what they needed in that moment, you know, but we were able to realize that we weren't enough and we're able to find someone who was enough, you know, to find them what yeah. they needed. You know, it wasn't at that yeah. point in time, it wasn't our strong suit, but we were able to recognize that instead of doing more damage, doing more harm than good, you know, we were able to take that and turn it into something great. And and those two children are doing wonderful, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the thing is, is just because we couldn't be their placement doesn't mean that we couldn't help them, you know, and everybody can do something, you know, you, you can, it doesn't matter how big or how small, 
you know, the littlest thing can be the biggest thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, you know, that's a good point where you were talking about, you can always do something. Um, even if you can't take in the kids, because that's not for everybody. And there's a lot of things that prevent people from fostering and, and that's fine. You know, but I know that people still really feel compelled to help. I think that the, you know, a couple things, a couple ideas of some things you could do. Um, you know, you were talking about that there's not a whole lot of services for bio parents. There's definitely not. Um, and we can't always, you know, rely on children's division to use their funds for that. If, you know, it's not approved or whatever. Um, but maybe offering them a ride to go to a visit or offering to be the visitation supervisor without pay. If you have a free hour of your week and you're like, Hey, I want to do, you know, something good with it. You could become a parent aide and get paid to supervise those visitations. Um, if you, if you felt compelled to do that, you know, of course requires a little bit more work on your part, but you can do that. Take them to their NA or AA or drop them off at their inpatient class or the inpatient facility that they have to go to or something like that. You know, but for the foster parents, I think some of the things that would have made it, I'll say, easier for me to foster because it's not easy by any means. But what something that would have helped a little bit with five right now, I work full time, my husband works full time. It would be super nice for us to have a date night. We haven't <laughs> gone on a date night in three years. <laughs> in three I years, feel you there. Had, we have had one child with us on every quote date we've been on in three years. <laughs> And I can tell you, it's typically the same kid because he's the troublemaker, right? <laughs> so you're like, I, I don't know the babysitter can handle you tonight. Right. Um, I have some pictures you know, from a date night we had a while back. It's been several years ago. Um, we had Carl with us. Carl wasn't his real name. That's just what we called him. But, you know, we, we had a date night with a baby in a pumpkin seat sitting with us at the table. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. You know, little stuff like that. Or a big thing you know I there's no shame in my game I used to go to therapy after I fostered not before but after and (laughs) and I thought I thought in my head was well I'm gonna have to do evenings because I work full-time but man the daycare closes I don't have anybody to watch my kids well I go to therapy for myself you know we think about what do the kids need or I think that's always to go to what can I buy what can I buy you to help with them or you know, do they need the diapers? Do they need clothes? What do they? What can we give you? And I just encourage people to look on the other side of it too, and say, what do you need? Right. Because you so you can't pour from else. an empty cup. How can I help you? And well, you know, and you you mentioned so, therapy, and you know that's awesome. Too many people don't take their mental health serious, and when you are mm-hmm. a foster parent and you're you're doing this, you know you're you're in it with these kids and their trauma is your trauma. And, you know, you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself too, so that you can be the best for them. And it's like you said, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Jason says that to me all the time. He encourages me to take care of myself. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, you have to take care of yourselves. You know, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah with having done foster care for quite a few years and then you know, I lost my dad and then we lost our oldest daughter and we went through a lot of stuff. Amanda and I have a guy like we go see him on a regular basis. It's just, it's just good practice for us. You know, 
I, and I know it's what you're saying. You know, there's no shame on my game. I've told that to people in the past. Hey, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. That's not wrong with everybody. Sometimes that's a life changer. You know, go, if you, if you had cancer, we wouldn't shame you for having cancer, right? If you got right. some troubles in your life, like some mental illness instead of physical illness, nobody's going to shame you for going and talking to somebody like sometimes just having that person. And we're fortunate. We, we've got the right age of kids to have like built in babysitters at this point in our life. But you know, if you need time <laughs> yeah. to, to, to take for yourself, that's really important. And if somebody can, can mm-hmm. reach out and just say, Hey, how about I come over and, and I'll pop in a movie and, and we'll eat pizza and, and popcorn and, and be silly tonight and give you a couple hours to handle that. That's, I mean, that makes you such a better person when you're dealing with kids who are in the middle of their mess. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I really, people ask all the time, how can I help? You know, when I'm, when I'm training classes and stuff, this usually comes up, especially like, you know, the stars classes that were respite and stuff like that. And they really kind of start to see the behind the scenes. I'm like, oh man, that's a lot. And I'm like, yeah, and if you're not cut out for this, please, please duck out now because we don't need more secondary trauma for these kids, you know, by, by, by you disrupting 500 times or, you know, whatever the situation might be. But there are so many other ways that you can help that you don't even realize. One super cool thing that I think is worth mentioning is there is a local thing, and, and I know that it's it's worldwide. I don't know where all their base locations are, but in Springfield, we have what's called Man Up and Go. Have you heard of that before? I have not. It's um, it's super cool. And Jason, I think that you would totally love it. It is an organization of men who, from my understanding, their whole goal in life is to father the fatherless and to take care of single moms and struggling families. And a way that they are doing that locally is by partnering with local foster parents. And, um, you know, obviously they can't take on everyone you know, on everyone at once, but they've selected a few foster parents to start providing services for. And we are so fortunate that we were selected as a family for this next year. So I'm super stoked about that. Some services that they're that they're willing to provide are babysitting, house cleaning, laundry, hey, sign me shopping, up. <laughs> meal meal prepping. All those good things that you're like, I have no time to do any of this right now. That is an agency that saw the need and is meeting it. And that is so cool to me. And I love, I love seeing that. And I'm so glad that I get to be a part of it. It's really awesome. You know, We're going to have to look into that because, yeah, I have not yeah. heard, of, heard of that. Um, but I know that would yeah. be so beneficial to some of our families out here. You know, and that's the other thing yeah. that we're we're trying to do is to try to come up with a resource list to to help our foster families too. Just all in all, try to help each other out the best that we can because it mm-hmm. just seems like there's not nobody's really working together. We've got foster families and we've got adopted families, and but it doesn't seem like we're really connected. You know, and yeah. we want to try to bring everybody together because you know, you can do so much more as a village than you can on your own. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think she's really just trying to see if I know how to do laundry and cook and clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know who they're going to be sending, but 
but I just think that the whole the whole mission and the whole goal of their organization is just so cool. So so I yeah, love no, that, that and I kinda wanted to, to throw that out there. That sounds like an amazing opportunity to be able to to step in and you know, especially because it doesn't require you to be a foster parent. If yeah. you're not wired for that, you know, and I've said that to many people. Everybody knows we need foster homes. We need foster families. We need more help. But if you're not wired for it and you say, I can't do that, I'm not, that's not my thing, man, don't do it. We don't want you to do it if it's not your thing. But yeah. maybe maybe doing something to support foster families could be your thing. You know, some people yeah, aren't absolutely. just aren't wired for kids. You know, we have a we ha- we have an, uh, a gal in our in our area out here. And Kathy is she's an amazing gal for what she does. And she says to me one time, she's like, oh, you and Amanda are so amazing taking care of all these little kids. And I'm like, are you crazy, Kathy? Like you take in teens. Like she had a, a whole, <laughs> she yeah. had like a, a home that she was, you know, working with teens transitioning out of the, out of the system so that they could learn to pay their bills and this. And, and she's dealing with the teens and everything that comes to, I'm like, I'm dealing with like, he called me a poopy head. I have yeah, it easier, right. way easier. <laughs> yeah, you know, I yeah. can get down on the floor and teach you how to run this car. If you pull it back and let it go, it'll shoot across. I'm teaching easy <laughs> lessons, right? Like, like I'm doing basic stuff. But you know, we all have our our skill set, and maybe yours is teens, yeah. maybe yours is is toddlers. You know, give me a room with thirty toddlers, and we'll have an army to assault the nearest ice cream stand in five minutes. You give me a teenager, and I'm struggling right out the gate. And I know that, you know. <laughs> Some yeah, people are, yeah. are wired for doing things that don't involve kids at all, but it doesn't mean you can't still support the mission if that's if that's your calling. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. That, that's that's really in, in and that's kind of you know, goes back to the question I asked you earlier. You know, I think we all have a thing that sets our soul on fire. That one thing that makes a difference in our life. That's what we need to find. And, you know, the, I think organizations like that, because I'm assuming they have a website. I'm gonna be on Google searching them up here lately. Or later, organizations like that could really make make a lot of room for people to step in who aren't kid people, so to speak. Yeah, it's uh, their website's manupandgo.org. Um, if you want to look that up later, and and um, you know they they are a faith based organization. So if that's not your thing, cool. But you know, I just had to throw that out there. I think that once you find your thing and your groove, go with it. Because there's not going to be anyone better to talk to about it than you. I was just talking with some of my coworkers the other day. And um, I used to do licensing, foster care licensing. And, you know, I was getting in a little discussion. It was a little heated. I'm going to be honest with you. A little heated discussion with somebody else (laughs) about, no, that's not policy. Policy says this and, you know, stuff like that. And one of my coworkers came to me later and she said, you're an expert at that. I'm not arguing with you about licensing. She's like, just, just as you wouldn't argue with me about DOC, because she used to work in the DOC. And she said, um, I can tell you're passionate about that. And she said, keep doing it. Keep talking about it. Because I think too too often people are are scared to speak up or scared to talk about the topics that nobody else wants to talk about. You know, every time I go to like holidays and stuff, you know, I start talking about a story. I'm like, well, do you know what? you know, kid number one told me this afternoon, everyone's like, Oh no, I don't want to hear it. Auburn. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, cause it's probably going to be something related to trauma, you know, or some sad, they're like, you tell the worst sad stories, <laughs> you know, 
but I think it's just opening people's eyes and you've got to be able to, to do what you're meant to do. And I just, I know that this is what I was meant to do to love on them and be their mom. And I do grieve their mom's loss. I really do. I feel for her. I still see her as one of those traumatized youth, you know, in a way. And she's stuck in that. And I I feel for her, but I know that I was meant to be their mom and I just do it the best I can. And I don't always make perfect trauma informed decisions by any means. I mean, sometimes there's days I'm like, I'm just going to be yelling at you all day. Um, We've never had those I think days. That's every, <laughs> I think that's every parent, right? But do what you're passionate about, do what you love and just roll with it. And so many things will just surprise you about yourself. Even I think I, there was, I, if you would have told me three years ago that I would have had five kids right now, I'd say, no, you're lying. There's no <laughs> way I wanted like one kid max, maybe like that's really pushing it. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that now looking back and my husband and I were talking the other day and he was like, did you ever think when we got married, we'd have five kids? And I'm like, no way, no way we roll with it and we love it and we want to just make a difference and if that's in one person's life great if that's in lots of people's life great do what sets your soul on fire i like that you know there's a quote i believe it's henry david Thoreau. i'm just full of them tonight i guess but he said something along the lines of most men will go to most men live a life of quiet desperation and will go to their grave with their song yet unsung and i think that's so true for most people and, you know, you sound like somebody who's found that, that soul fire, that thing that sparks you alive. And I think when we can find that, the ability to change the world for, for all of history is just, it's unleashed. Like, th- there's no real limits on it, on what you can do. Yeah. As long as I can control it, as much control as I think that I have, I hope that by making a difference, in my kids' life and just stopping and listening to them and understanding them and helping them through through the things that they're still struggling with. Because like you said earlier, kid, it, it, trauma doesn't get erased. Trauma doesn't go away just because you're adopted. My one hope and goal is that one day they can have successful families that do not have to continue this generational curse of trauma. That's my one hope for them. I will do everything in my power to make sure that doesn't happen. Well, yeah, I mean, to break that cycle, to be able to have a hand in that, for me personally, is something that's very, very powerful. I, you know, from where I come from, I, I came from a lot of trauma growing up. And so to be able to break the curse and to break the cycle is very important to me. And, you know, and so if I can help my children do that so that they can become successful and have their children and so on and so forth. You know, it's, I'm, I'm right along there with you. You know, it, it's very important. So I, I, I do want to say though, kudos to you, mama, you knocked it out of the park. You, you <laughs> recognized the need with your, with your child and, and you sat down and, you know, you guys made memories and you, you had success and, you know, we don't always recognize those moments. And I God think only just knows slowing you. down and being more aware. God only knows how many people saw your story show up on Good Morning America, right? Like we, we don't know how many mm-hmm. people actually saw that or how many places that 
post was shared around online and, and that moment of openness and vulnerability, it will impact lives that you'll never hear about. Yeah. That's the power yeah. of just having that moment where you, you saw something like you were there, you were in the moment, you didn't have your phone stuck in your face. You weren't busy taking, you know, worrying about 27 other things and able to be present in that moment and, and really capitalize on that moment for something that can be not only beneficial for your son, but for probably millions of people. Yeah, I think um, last time I had talked to my cousin who was able to kind of see the, the logistics and stuff behind her blog page said that it had 19 million views on it. Um, and that was a few days ago. So I'm sure there's more now. On the original post, if you look back through the thousands of comments, um, you know, on Facebook now you can search like most relevant. So that's helpful. There was this one girl in particular who stood out to me that said something along the lines of, I was him. That was me. Nobody to this day cares about me like you care about him. And I wish I had somebody like that. There were hundreds of comments replying to her saying, I care about you. I will listen to you. You are important. Your story is important. I'm praying for you. Wow. And I'm like, wow, like, oh my gosh, you know, and think about how I know how awesome her day was because she sent me a message about it later. (laughs) But (laughs) she was like, this is so cool. I've never had so many people say so many nice things to me. I thought this is what it's all about guys. Like just reaching out. That was free for you to leave a Facebook comment. It's free. And a nice one is that a nice Facebook comment. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm like, don't always get wow. those. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that is, that's what it's all about. That is. Yes. That was awesome to watch it. And you can read the comments and they're just so encouraging and hopeful and just so nice to her. And that was awesome. So not only that, but people were, um, you know, commenting and, and saying, I was a foster kid too. And this helped me see that not all foster parents are bad. And, you know, some were, were saying, I lost my kids through the system. I'm so glad they have a parent like you now, you know, and, and other stuff. And it was, it was just really great to see that, that people were taking something away from it. There was only, of the thousands of comments I read, which I know you should never read comments about yourself, right? But I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> and I always will be. But um, of the thousands of comments that I read that day, so the day where it really started hitting everywhere, there were only three negative comments. And they weren't really even that negative. They were more concerned for if I was respecting my son's privacy, <laughs> which, I, you know, they could have said it a little nicer, but, you know, whatever. I guess they were still showing care for him. But, you know, how awesome was it that over 19 million people saw a good story? And got right. a little bit of education out of it, too. Always hear the bad stories about foster care. The media only shares, oh, foster parent was found beating their foster child. Right, or, it's all you negative. You know, whatever. And, you know, you never see the good stuff. I think that I would encourage people to share more. Of course, always respect your children's privacy and, you know, and everything. Give them permission and everything like that. But if you have a, a child like mine who wants his story to be known and, like we'll gladly let you tell most people anything, then share it. Quite frankly, I'm pretty open. I don't mind being a little taboo every once in a while. So I'm like, I'll throw you a little curveball every now and then. <laughs> and I do it because I want people 
I want people to realize that this is real. Like this kid that you're commenting on and commenting about came out of your backyard. Like he's local here in Missouri. And you guys didn't know that when you first contacted me, you had no idea that we were only a few hours away from you. I've received messages and stuff from people and they're, you know, they're saying, Oh, I'm from his county that he came from, you know, they, they knew the caseworker or have seen me in um, a local foster parent group before or through work have seen me train and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of the foster families in our area. And they're like, I never knew that about him. Or I, I didn't know that, that he was from here and it always shocks them. And I'm like, guys, like if you heard half the things that he has said to me, you know, newsworthy. I mean, that's the thing. You know? these, these are our kids. These are our children and they're everywhere. You know, it, it yeah. doesn't matter what County, what state, you know, our children are out there and we need to listen to them, you know, because they have yeah. powerful stories to tell. And, yeah. you know, when you can tell those stories and especially when it's, when it's like this and, you know, it, it's positive, you know, it's great for your son because his story, part of his story, who he is, is out there and people are responding and they're responding in a good way and and positive, you know, and hopefully that makes him feel good, you know, because too often our children don't feel good. Or they feel shame in their story. Right. They don't want to say who they are, where they came from and and they want to hide it. And so I just, like I said, I, I, I read the post and I, I immediately shared it and I, I came in and I talked to Jason and I'm like, you just have to read this. You know, it just, it grabbed hold of me, you know, and I was just like, we need this, you know, people need to hear this. We need more of this. It, it needs to be out there. You know, people need to share their stories, what they can, what they're comfortable with. You know, we need more attention for our children. Yeah. Because they, they are the reason we do what we do. And, you know, of all the child welfare agencies that I've worked for, I will tell you that my genuine belief is that in most situations, the parents have more rights than the kids. <laughs> Some cases drag on and on and on and on. And you think, what is this child being drugged through? And yes, we can say, you know, as a, as, you know, a, the state that children's welfare well-being is our number one priority and I just encourage people to really think is it how can I make that better how can I make her Christmas better is it by going to visit her for an hour tomorrow to take her to IHOP absolutely she was thrilled (sighs) I have time you know um and you know she'll probably think back on that and I hope she does anyway and, um, you know, I plan on, on taking her to get her nails done next month for her birthday. And what's $40 here and there? Right. It's what little it? acts of kindness. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't and, take much. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think that Josh ship quote really just kind of sums it all up. It's every kid yeah. is one caring adult away from a success story that caring adult may just be getting fingernails done or something or, or taking a kid to see a movie or it, it may be something yeah. that simple. You just never know, you know, the, uh, 
people's stories are well hidden. You don't always know the the people who you're looking at, even the young people you're looking at who've tasted the metal of, of a gun barrel in the past and, and just hadn't gotten quite there yet. You know, I mean, that's, that's real yeah. stuff. And it's a place where a lot of kids end, end up going to it's who, who end up looking at, at that suicidal route or who end up in a lot of mental health issues and just don't have, well, like the young lady who responded to your post who said, you know, that was me and nobody ever cared. It's not that difficult to be the person who cares. Yeah. Absolutely. It's free. Kindness is free. You might have to muster up, you know, if you're having a rough day yourself, you might have to go, okay, hold on. Let me put myself on hold for a minute. But you'll probably end up feeling better about yourself too. <laughs> you know, might make you feel better too. You're you're a hundred percent right. I've, I've learned that in my life that sometimes when I feel like I'm having a bad day, the best thing I can do is something for someone else. Because mm-hmm. that's, that gets me out of my own silly funk, my own silly whatever it is I'm in my head that helps you realize that, you know, your day is not as bad as you think it is usually. You know, I, I had a little girl teach me that at a dinner table one night when she at probably four years old. And she said, can I, can I say a blessing for dinner? I said, sure. And she folds her little four-year-old hands and just so innocently says, dear God. Thank you that my new mommy and daddy haven't died too. Amen. Mm. Like yeah. I thought I was having a rough day that day. Um, yeah. A rough day didn't look so bad after that. Yeah. Sometimes that perspective, it's, and I speak about the wisdom of a toddler a lot. They've taught me a lot of their oh, wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> I've got a house full of toddlers and I'm telling you, no one will put your place, your, you in your place quicker than a toddler will. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You know, um, I fully live by that. But even even my son, you know, the oldest one, he's so cool because you could see you could, you've seen the progression, right? It's a lifestyle. Kindness is a lifestyle. That's what I tell people. And I've seen him. Our our rule in our house is before anything else, you will be kind to others. You will we'll have whatever you have to do to get there. We're gonna get there. And something that he I, he wasn't very kind when he when he moved in. He wasn't, and he'll tell you that. Um, but modeling it for your children and showing them what it's like to be kind um, to other people and constantly reminding them, like, hey, that, that maybe wasn't kind. That probably hurt his feelings. How could we do that better next time? You know, and, and just modeling it for them. And the coolest thing was his teacher at the last parent-teacher conference. She said, well, you know, of course, he has perfect grades because he's so smart. And and he tries really hard at school. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I said, but how, how is he in class? How does he treat people? And she said, well, she's like, I was, I had written that something down to tell you that there was somebody new that had moved to the school and they were really scared and they were crying at lunch and were sitting kind of alone. And he got up and went and sat by them and sat by them at all lunch and invited them over to his table. And when he got home from school that night, I didn't praise him for his grades until I had first praised him for being kind. Absolutely. And I said, you don't know what she just went through. She could have moved to the school because she had a domestic violence situation in the home. She could have moved to the school because maybe they couldn't afford their old house anymore. 
or something else. You just never know. And I said, and you made her day better just by asking her to sit at your table. And it made him feel good about himself, you know, and he's done a lot of things since then that have been kind, but you can pass this down to your kids and can really make an impact on somebody's day just by being kind. Absolutely. Power of kindness. Well, Auburn, I don't want to take up all of your evening and we have a house full of rowdy kids. We're probably going to have to go corral here shortly. <laughs> I yes. know you know the feeling. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, <laughs> <laughs> fortunately, our older son and his wife are home for the weekend, or for the week, actually. So I'm pretty certain it hasn't all burnt down around us so far. So, you know, we've got a little uh, bit of protection out there. I haven't heard any screams. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard any screams in the background. So they're I actually doing, really, they're doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we, I, I just really want to say thanks for coming on here and sharing your family's story. And, you know, I know it's going to have an impact on more lives than we can imagine. I, you mentioned the 19.2 million views on Facebook. I mean, good morning, America. I don't know how many views they have, but that, think of that huge impact, you know, you guys are, are putting out there. You know, foster care really needs more stories to be seen because we can't really address the problem as a nation until we find a way to shine a light on a situation in our own backyard. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you're doing. And, and man, I just want to, I just want to thank you for that and say, you know, kudos to you for doing the right thing and how great it is that you're willing to share your story to help impact our world. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me and for feeling like his story, because it's his story ultimately that his story was important enough to be shared and he's going to think that this is just the coolest ever. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't wait to get home and, and see what he's done today, but he's super excited for Christmas. And, um, you know, we, we just got some, some good news about one of his siblings, um, that we don't really have just quite yet, but you know, he's, he's going to be happy about that. And so, so I'm hoping that he's going to have a good, a good holiday and you know he'll he will continue to to be such a great kid so I'm just I'm so thankful for him but I'm thankful for everybody that has shared the, our story and has made a nice comment and a lot of people have been messaging me and saying hey can you tell your son you know this or that and you know I've shared those with him and it's just made his whole his whole you know week to know that that his story that was tragic for him is actually helping people. And, you know, we're, we're excited about that. So, so well, thank I was going to say, he sounds like a, an amazing, amazing young man. Um, and it sounds like he's going to go on to do great things. And I yes. can't wait to one day read that book. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. I'm going to hold him to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being on here. Thanks to everyone for listening all the way through. If you're trying to find us on a specific podcasting platform, just search for Jason and Amanda Palmer or Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or anywhere where you find your podcast. You can also download it so that you can listen wherever you're at, even when you aren't online. You can find us online at jasonmpalmer.com where you can read our blog, 
and listen to all of our previous podcasts. If you have a story that you'd like to tell on the show, please send me an email at jasonmpalmer at yahoo.com and be sure to put podcasts in the subject line. Or send me a message through our Facebook page at Foster Care and Unparalleled Journey. We'll see you next time.